The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And so we will be in 1 Peter 4 this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and and raise your hand. Our ushers will get one into your hands. Whenever we're up here, uh, we want you seeing God's Word, not just hearing what we have to say. Uh, This is our authority. And and so if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get one to you. And if you just don't have one, uh, that one we give you is free to keep. All right, so... um, if you would, just kind of move to 1 Peter 4, put your finger in there, and we're going to talk about really how uh, because God is great, we live in community. And so we, we've kind of seen this, and we haven't really called it out specifically, but we've seen this throughout the entire series. Um, and, and this series, for those of you who haven't been with us, uh, go back and listen, because we basically took from, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and just took passages in there that showed how great God is. It's been a great series. And what we've seen is that God's people have always been in community. Uh, the, the, the words we find in God's word were, were never written in isolation or just to one person. They were really for the people then and for us now. And we also see that community's messy. Anybody uh, ever been in a relationship and it just was absolutely perfect, never went wrong? All right, good, because I thought maybe it was just me that has a mess. Um, but that mess is because sin corrupts everything. And that sin started way back in Genesis 3, and we saw that God is great beside, uh, despite sin. We have seen uh, that God made promises. Even in Genesis 3, he gave us a hope that Christ would come and make things right. And so we, we, we've been walking out this hope. We've been looking at this. And, and we see in Ephesians 2, we talked about Jesus made a way for reconciliation. Reconciliation is a huge part of community. And he gave us uh, his great wisdom. He gave us the church, the body of believers, so that we could live together. And, and then just two weeks ago, we talked about in Revelation 22 that Jesus is coming back. How soon? Super soon, right? That's, we, Jesus is coming back super soon. So then we talked about what, well, what's that mean? It should give us some urgency. And this plays into our passage today. But while we wait for Christ's return, we do what disciples do, right? We worship, we walk, and we work. We worship Christ We walk with Christ and we work for Christ. And that is really what happens individually, but also in our communities, our uncommon communities. And so uh, a lot of people have been a part of community, um, but really when you look at a body of believers, we are uncommon. There's something different about us. And that, that unifying fact, if you look around this room, there's one thing that unifies everybody in this room. The various backgrounds, the various experiences, Everything, but that one thing is Jesus, and that makes us an uncommon community. So while we wait, we worship, walk, and work, and there's some individual responsibility in that, but there's also the context of community that that occurs in. So we want to be, you know, in our word, we want to be praying, we want to be doing these things individually, 
And, and, and that's each of you guys' responsibility, and that's my responsibility. But it's not my responsibility to come in the morning and wake you up and be like, hey, time to get up and pray. Read your Bible, because that would be creepy, right? <laughs> All right? But that's individual responsibility. But we do encourage each other when it's in the context of community. And so we do this together, um, what Pastor Blair called wall, we all. Uh, we do this as a, a body of believers. And so this, this passage this morning is given us, um, you know, it's given us some context of how to do that. And one thing I really love about this is this passage is written by Peter. Um, I love Peter because Peter gives me great hope. He puts his foot in his mouth all the time. He, he's the one, like, he cut off somebody's ear. He denied Christ. Like, we see that in his walk and his life early. But this letter is written later in his life, and what you see in it is the maturing, the sanctification that he's gone through. And then we see that he is different. And hopefully each of us is different. As we follow the Lord, we don't want to be the same as we were when we first started whether that's one year or 10 years, 20, 30 years, however long you've been following Christ, like there should be a constant process of sanctification that's moving us to be more like him. And that context of community is what helps that grow. It's one of the mercies of God. So we see that he is writing this, and, and just to give you some context, because we never want to take God's word out of context, he's writing to a people that are dispersed. Uh, he's writing to believers that have scattered out throughout the known world, um, and he's writing to them to encourage them in their times of suffering. Um, he's writing to teach them how to submit to Christ and, and how to live under the sovereignty of God. And so that is where we find ourselves. And basically his saying in this passage, like, hey, I know that you moved. I know that you're in a new community, and but... You follow Jesus. You love Jesus. So this is how you're going to live in light of that. Now, anybody here uh, moved to this community recently? Somewhat recently? We've got a lot of people. Who was born in New Braunfels and has been here? Like, that's very few, right? There's some. All right. But, but a lot of us are, are in a new community. We've been scattered from somewhere else, and now we get to live together in this uncommon community that he has called us to. And so let's, let's jump into the passage. We're going to be in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, and just read it with me as, as I go through. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to him belong glory dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. And I, I love this passage. I love what it, it shows us. And what it shows us is that God is glorified through our uncommon 
community. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In other words, live according to his word together. Right out of the gate, it starts with that line, the end of all things is at hand, and that is great news. And some of you might be like, if you didn't hear the message the other day, like, what? The end is great news? Yes. Yes, because that means Jesus is coming back super soon. It means that there is an expiration, an end date to suffering, to the presence of sin in this world. And, you know, we've been experiencing some suffering. We've had sickness going through our body of believers. And so we see, like, even with that, there's an end to the pandemic. There's an end to persecution, whether that's the ostracizing of Christian beliefs and Christian followers, uh, or it's actual physical torture and death for our brothers and sisters around the globe. There's an end to that. We won't face that forever. So this is very good news. And so Peter makes that statement and he gives us some instruction, right? So after that statement, he says, therefore, and therefore is a key word we always watch for. It means back up a little and see what we're talking about. And so in light of the end of all things being at hand, it says, therefore, Christ's return is imminent. Therefore, pray, love, welcome, and steward your gifts. And in doing so, living in an uncommon community, loving, praying, welcoming, stewarding, we, we see God glorified, especially when it's hard. Like we talked about, relationships hard, communities hard. It's great. It's wonderful. It's a mercy of God, but man, sometimes it's hard. And even, especially when it's hard, God is glorified when we continue to press into his word, to abide by his spirit, to walk out what he's called us to do. And so that is what we want, right? We, we see that uh, it starts with that. We, we want to do those things. And then later on in verse 11, you'll see there's a little dash in mine. But after that, it says, in order that, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. This is uh, important because we have our motivation at the beginning. Our motivation is Christ is coming back super soon. And, and then we have the reason at the end. Bookmark, book ends it, right? For the glory of God through Jesus. So we're going to break these down and look at the rest of these verses to see exactly how God is glorified through our uncommon community. And so First point I want to bring out is from verse 7, and that is God is glorified when I pray urgently. So let's look back at verse 7. It says, after the end of all things, it says, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And what we see is we're told to be self-controlled and sober-minded. This is, is not something we see in our culture a lot right now, especially as, as, as we, we look at newscasts and we look at the constant barrage of just panic, pandemonium, right? 
It's just coming at us. And what we're called to do is self-controlled and sober-minded. That should give us a sense of reasonable, serious, urgent. That's how we're called to pray. How many articles or news broadcasts did you see this week talking about whether it was the, the Supreme Court and their rulings, whether it was even the cold front that you, you saw that was sober-minded, self-controlled, or was it a little frenzied? Everything, everything seems so frenzied. It's because self-controlled and sober-minded does not sell. To be steady, ready, and faithful are from the Lord. But fear and skepticism and suspicion and just the whole, the sky is falling nonstop. Those things sell. Those things feed our flesh. They speak to us. But in the end, we want to turn away from that fear and that frenzy Rather, we should be focused, and, and, and this is calling us to be laser-focused, to press in in prayer, just like we did last week. If you were here last week, we got to do that uh, during service, press in in prayer, and we also got to do that in our small groups, in our uncommon community. And it's, it was great, and, and we do this because there are people that need reconciliation, and restoring. There's kids who are wayward. We want to come to Christ. The sin in us needs killing, and churches need planting. So we pray urgently. But I want you to think that urgent is not frenzy. It's serious, it's self controlled, it's sober minded, where frenzy is, is panicked. One of the differences we see is, is what we started with this verse, right? We have a deadline. And so imagine if you're in your job or at school and, and you get a deadline, right? Your boss says, hey, I'm coming back and I'm going to check on this, or I, I have this time frame and it needs to be done, whether, whether you're pouring concrete and you see the rains coming next week, right, again, whether you're uh, doing research on the best location for your business before you sign a lease, whether you have a term paper due. Whatever it is, when that deadline is there, it helps us focus. It gives us a sense of urgency. I have things to do before the boss comes back. In our case, we have things to do before our king returns. We should pray urgently. We should pray knowing that there's a deadline. We should pray each moment that we get to with, with this sense of urgency, like this could be the last chance I have to petition God before Christ returns, before it's too late. Those people in my life that I need to be praying for, that the, the Spirit would draw them to Christ. Like each time I should have an urgency in my prayer as I come to Christ or come to the Father and ask him for those people to be saved. But it's urgent. It's not frenzied. So what are the things that squelch that fervent and urgent prayer? It's anything that takes our eyes and focus off of Christ. So for a lot of people, it, it could be 
watching too much news or TV or reading too many articles or just that constant scrolling and being fed that frenzied panic, that fear. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships, whether that's, that's friends or coworkers that, uh, that give you a taste of sin. And in that, I'm not saying that you should completely cut them off. But you need to evaluate, am I being infected by sin or am I influencing with the gospel? Maybe it's relying on a crutch, something that you turn to to get you through. Maybe it's food, maybe it's a substance. Whatever it is, recreation even can become a crutch. Addictions. So this is my challenge before we turn on or tune in or start to scroll, or whatever we turn to, let's take a moment to pray with that urgency, to re-anchor ourselves, to give our focus back to Christ, to remove the pull of fear and sin. Our uncommon community is defined by this urgent prayer. And as Another attribute of an uncommon community is, is shown us in verse 8. It's, God is glorified when I love earnestly. This uh, starts out in verse 8. It says, above all. And that above all shows us that this is top priority, highest concern, first importance. Our great command is to love one another. Jesus told us several times. We, we see it written. In fact, we have a, a slide, and I'm going to just show you this short passage of prayers where we see love one another. I, I encourage you, take a screenshot. Go this afternoon and read through those. But what you see here is you see John and Paul and Peter all repeating this command that Christ gave. Love one another. This love is earnest and fervent. It's a deep affection. It's a sincere concern. You know who loves this way? Mothers with their infant children. And we've seen that lately at Redemption, right? Praise God, in 2021, there were 10 babies born in this body of believers. And right now, coming year, there's six that we know about, maybe more as the year goes on, right? But that love, that deep affection, that sincere concern, this is a fervent love. But it's more than just affection. We see this kind of love in our small groups, in our community as we care for each other, as we show that sincere concern. This is a fervent love. It enables frequent forgiveness. Said another way, generous love enables generous forgiveness. We see this through Christ. His generous love bought our forgiveness. And it says that love covers a multitude of sins. These sins, these are offenses in relationships. Uh, it's like digging a hole, right? 
and it has to be covered back in. And the only thing that fills that in is love. Picture it this way. Uh, in, in the backyard of our relationship, my wife Terry and I, uh, when I sin against her, whether that's words or ways, it digs a hole. And, and I know about holes right now. We just got a new dog, and he's dug up the backyard a little bit, right? And they're dangerous. If I'm out walking at night, I'm going to step in that hole. I'm going to hurt myself. And they need to be filled in, which is probably what I need to do this afternoon. Uh, but... So each time that I sin against Terry, I, I dig a hole, and I'm in danger of falling in it. And if she just laid a tarp over it, we wouldn't see it, but the hole would still be there. It has to be filled in, and that's what we're talking about is it covers, it fills in. What it does is it, it buries the burden. Now, there might be a dirt patch there for a little bit until the grass regrows, right? But... If you notice, Terry fills the hole in, even though I caused the offense. That's, that's forgiveness. That's this fervent love. And, and I would also like to caution us that this doesn't say that love doesn't talk about offense, right? That, that's not forgiveness. That's just suppression, which is not good. We have to talk about the offense that gives the person an opportunity to repent, to confess, to reconcile. And so that's what we need with our love as we love one another. That's the degree of love we're called to in our uncommon community. I'll tell you, when Terry and I first got here, we were in a sermon series about uncommon community, and we came the first time and it was on love one another. And I will tell you, I knew immediately that this was the place for us. There's a fervent love. It's a sincere concern, and it gives us the ability to have frequent forgiveness. Could this be the reputation of our church? I mean, that's, that's what we're praying for, right? We want to be known as an uncommon community that loves one another, loves fervently and forgives freely. We need to bury the burden. Maybe you're carrying a burden. Maybe there's a hole that's been dug in your relationship with somebody, and it needs to be filled in, needs to be covered. So I challenge you, like, make that happen. Have the discussion. Give the opportunity to fill that in. Let it be covered by love. We don't want to leave these holes uncovered because we are in danger of falling into sin. As we move on into verse 9, we see our third point, and that is God is glorified when I welcome joyfully. It says, show hospitality to one another. And it doesn't just stop there, right? It says, without grumbling. There's a joy in hospitality. It should be, right? We're, we're in Texas. Texas is known for hospitality. The South, in general, is known for hospitality. It's in our culture. We know how to throw a good party. We know how to make people feel welcomed in our homes, right? But it's more than just throwing a party. The, the biblical concept here of, of hospitality is the idea of bringing a stranger near. Letting someone you don't know very well into that sacred space. 
You know, it, it, it's interesting because we live in a community where uh, oftentimes we don't know our neighbors. We get home, we get in, we lock the door, we pull the blinds, drive our car into the garage and let it close behind us so we don't have to talk to anybody. But this sets us apart is we are called to be something different. We're called to welcome people in, invite them in. We need to allow somebody into our space, into our home. And we're to do it without grumbling, right? Uh, this gets at our heart attitude. We're not showing hospitality because we have to, because it's expected of us, because we feel like culturally it's needed, right? But it should flow from this fervent love that we have for one another. We should be inviting people in with a cheerful heart. And this means, like, if you have people in your home, being cordial to the stranger. Ask somebody questions. It doesn't have to just be at your home. It can be right here. You see somebody you don't know, get to know them. Ask them questions. Engage the person who's an outlier into your group conversation. There's nothing, well, I won't say that, but few things more nerve-wracking for people than, than walking into an unknown situation. And you walk through the doors, and everybody's in their little groups, and you're ignored. Thankfully, you guys do a great job of this. I rarely see somebody walk through that somebody doesn't notice him and draw them in, welcome them. So welcome those people in. Welcome the, the battered woman into your home until she can get on her feet. Invite the person that's sitting right next to you that you don't know out to lunch. Sometimes it means welcoming a single mother and her kids into your home who's been abandoned. Uh, we, Terry and I, had a woman come to our home. She had three little girls. She told me that day, hey, these people are going to end up in a shelter. And it was like, well, let's, let's bring them in. And it was a little uncomfortable. I'll admit it. You know, having people in your house and you're like, man, it throws off your norms. But they needed it. They needed to see the love of Christ. And it built relationships that are still there. That when this woman is celebrating something, she lets us know. When, when she is looking for godly wisdom, she calls us. It was, it was a great opportunity to show hospitality before we really even knew what it was about. Maybe you have somebody like that in, in your mind that you're thinking like, man, this person does that well. Their door's always open. They let in the stranger. They, they let the, the teenagers come and be there who, who need some ministering and guidance. Whatever that looks like, I, I hope you have that, and I encourage you to become that. It doesn't say you have to be best friends. It just means that we, out of a joy, go out of our way to be inconvenienced for God's glory and for the good of others. That's, that's what it means to be an authentic disciple. We have a couple in this church that just shows this so well, and they would never say it for themselves, but, but Will and Taylor Hughes have been showing this to us and really to two little children who they foster. They are daily, every day, inconvenienced, but without complaint, 
as they pray and love and welcome these two children into their home. For God's glory and for the good of those children. And for us who see it and are encouraged. That, that's hospitality. God's given us a lot of opportunity. He has surrounded us with people, has he not? Uh, I have not been in New Braunfels very long, but since I've been here, population is going up, right? And we have choices. We can grumble about the traffic, and we can grumble about it's not feeling like a small town anymore, or we can start showing hospitality, inviting people to church, inviting people into our home, showing them that Jesus welcomes him, just like he already welcomed us into his church. So I encourage you, take a step this week. Approach somebody you don't know, maybe the person sitting right next to you right now, or somebody that you, you don't know and you're out talking in the foyer. Just approach them, invite them in, invite them into your life. Overcome the awkwardness. So I'll just, I'm, I'm giving everybody, I'm giving you all permission to introduce yourself. There, blame the awkwardness on me. Be like, hey, Eric made me do this. Hi, I'm, all right? So, but do that. Take, make it a point this week to connect with somebody. Be eager to meet them. God will be glorified when we pray urgently, love fervently, and welcome joyfully. And our final point this morning from this passage is that God is glorified when I steward my gifts faithfully. Verses 10 and 11 talk about this, that we're all given gifts. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been given a gift. That gift is not for your glory. It's not to promote yourself, to make you feel good about you. That gift is to serve. It's to serve these people around us. It's also not to be put on a shelf or buried. When we uh, look at Matthew 25, there's a parable of the talents. And, and we're given these great gifts, and there's an expectation that we're going to use them, that there's going to be multiplication, there's going to be growth from them. And the only one who got kind of hammered by the King was the one who buried it. He didn't do anything with it. He wasted the gift. We know this is for the good of others. If you look through these verses, we see one another three times in the previous verses. We're to live in uncommon community for the glory of God, yes, but also for the benefit of others. It's, it's all about stewardship, all right? Those, those gifts that we've been given are not our own. They are from God to be used for him and his glory and for the good of others. So I want you to think about, like, what your gift is. Um, I would look at people sometimes, and, and I, I think about how gifted they are. I look at preachers, one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. He was given a gift of teaching in great measure, right? What we see in the passage says, by God's various grace, that's a different measure. Some people get more, 
Some people get less. But I can't compare myself to him and then go, well, I can't use my gifts because I'm not Charles Spurgeon. I go, I can use my gift to the greatest extent that he has given me that ability. So maybe uh, when you're thinking about this, you know, you're thinking about the gift you have, and, and maybe the person next to you doesn't have the same gift. I, I hope not. Our, our gifts are this beautiful uh, gift from God. And when we put them together, we start to see this beautiful picture. It's like a puzzle. I've been doing some puzzles at our house recently, and, and I will tell you, if, if you're missing that piece, man, you feel it. Like it, it's, un, it's not complete. We need all the pieces. And I will tell you, if you are here this morning, if God has called you to this body of believers, we need your peace. We are missing something if you are not using your gifts. If you're not part of this uncommon community and you are missing something because you're missing the gifts of those around you. So if, if you feel like you lack Come into that community. Have us around you. Because we need you. We need the gift that God's put in you. And our gifts generally fall into two categories that we see in this passage. We see speaking and serving. Right? And so uh, if you aren't sure, you can ask yourself a couple questions. Just, uh, you know, am I naturally inclined to walk into a room and, and, and seek out the person, the people, and engage them? Or when I walk into a room, do I see all the work that it must have took or see the work that it's going to need for cleanup? Or maybe, here's another one, am I naturally inclined to speak up with an answer? Or do I naturally see work that needs to be done? That can kind of help you shape where are you. And then ask your community, ask your small group, where am I gifted? This is where we find our gifts, where they're discovered often. Because sometimes we don't know, and it takes our community to speak into our lives. And we can learn, and we can watch someone, and we can practice. We can get a spotter who can help us. Keep practicing, and then as we go, we grow together. <laughs> we can't read a manual and just go out and do it. Very rarely does that work. Um, and oftentimes I'll see this a lot. You'll, you'll see a, a spiritual gifts assessment. And it's basically a personality test that they've Christianized to, to make it sound different. They might show you something. But really, look into God's word. Look into those gifts. Look into the people around you and ask them for input. Where am I gifted? And how can I use this for God's glory and our benefit? Speaking gifts are generally captured anytime you open your mouth. This is what it is. It's, uh, is it preaching, uh, teaching, counseling, evangelism, exhortation? Varied audiences. It can be a large group, small group, one-on-one. -on -one. It could be men, women, youth, wherever you feel that pull. Varied ways. But in the church, when we open our mouth to instruct in this church in redemption, it's very important that when we instruct, correct, rebuke, or train for righteousness, it's got to come here from God's word, right? 
Our, our, our speaking gift should never contradict what God has given in his word. So that's what it means when it says oracles of God. It means God's word. This isn't some mumbo-jumbo, crazy stuff. If it does not align with his word, it is not an oracle of God. And that gift you are using is, is being used wrongly. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. Otherwise, we have nothing to instruct you with. Life transformation does not happen because I think of something and it's a good idea. It happens through the gospel. It happens through God's word. It's one message. And there is no editing. Saw that in Revelation 2, right? Or 22. Can't add to and we don't take away. We don't edit. We don't add to. We are not authors. We are messengers of God's word. And so when you have a speaking gift, that is what you're doing. You are proclaiming the message of the king. King Jesus. Don't ever add to, don't ever take away, but use it and know that it is true and powerful. We don't need another opinion, right? Or self-help. Goodness gracious. There's so much self-help, self-care, self, self, self in this culture right now. Self is a sign of pride. We do not need that. We need God's word. So I encourage you, if you have a speaking gift, steward it well. Now, if, if that isn't you, if you're like, ah, I'm not the speaking one, you have a gift of service. Serve well. And it says serve out of the strength that God supplies. Not out of your own strength. Because I will tell you, when you try and do this stuff, when you try and serve and minister out of your own strength, you will be exhausted. Exhausted and burn out but you will do much more than you can imagine when you plug into the source of power that you need, and that is God and his strength. And it'll stretch you and grow you, and you'll be able to do more and have more impact, more effect for the gospel. So what do you do? Well, you have to be dependent. When we speak, we're dependent on God's word. When we serve we're dependent on God's strength. We are made to be dependent. What's this look like? How do we stay dependent? We pray. Before we begin anything, you're on a ministry team here. Before you start serving, you need to set your heart on Christ and see it as what it is. I'm serving for God's glory and the good of others. Whether that's parking, whether that's coffee, whether whatever it is, Serving, preaching, playing, pray together in an uncommon community. We remember, we remind ourselves that we are stewards. We remind ourselves that we get to serve in these ways. God's given us gifts. And, and we need your gifts. Our puzzle's not complete without you. And we sacrifice. We go out of our way. We purposely become inconvenienced. We increase our involvement just a little bit more in God's strength. And you see how verse 11 ends. It's for the glory and greatness of God. The Father is glorified 
through Christ. How does he do that? Well, Christ is our perfect example to live out these things. In, in Christ, we see that we can pray in the power of God. We can love because of God's love. God's greatness welcomes, so we welcome God's greatness, gives us grace. And we use that as we empower our gifts, as we go out and use them for God's glory and others' good. Jesus showed this perfectly when he prayed urgently. He would get up early in the morning. He prayed urgently when he sweated drops of blood before his ministry on earth was about to end. He loved earnestly everyone he met. He was generous with his love and generous with his forgiveness. Even to the woman caught in adultery, his fervent love that he extended to all. Even the writer of this passage, Peter, repeatedly, he extended great love and forgiveness. He Ask the Father to forgive those who are murdering him as he hung on the cross. That's love. He welcomed joyfully, inviting children in, inviting the outsiders, the ostracized, those on the outskirts, outcasts of society. He spoke reverently and served dependently. And in John 5, verse 31, Jesus said this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus exemplified all of this through his work on the cross. That's how God is glorified through Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus owns glory and dominion. Owns it. Look, In our culture, there are so many things that point and give man glory, whether that's politics, whether that's sports, whether that's whatever pop culture item where people are being put on a pedestal. And they might have some sort of glory and some sort of dominion, like the president would have a a, a sense of glory and and dominion over this country, but it ain't going to last. It all has an expiration date except for Christ Christ is the one who owns glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, you have some challenges this week. And this is what we want to do. We want to live our lives to show him glory and honor that he deserves. We want to live in uncommon community as his bride, his body, knowing that he is coming soon. Remember, our our motivation is Christ is coming. That's why we live in uncommon community. And it has an urgency because, right, he's coming back soon. But it's all for God's glory and for the good of this body of believers. Now I ask you to pray with me. Father in heaven, we we love you and we need you. We, We see this morning just a beautiful glimpse into your plan. Your plan for community. Your plan to bring us together. Lord, I pray that if anyone is sitting here and they feel left out, 
they feel detached, isolated, and alone. Lord, I pray that you would press on their heart to make a connection. Lord, I pray that you would bring somebody into their path who would invite them in, that would show them this great love that we love one another with. Lord, I thank you that we get to pray, pray urgently. That is a gift to love, fervency. Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to share our gifts with each other and that you would be glorified. And we pray this all and thank you because it was only possible because of Christ. His atoning work that saved us and welcomed us in. Help us live this out as an uncommon community. In Christ's beautiful name, we pray. Amen.